Join us as we sing our praises to God together.
Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me.
loving Father, we thank you that you care for all the poor and powerless, the lost and lonely. When our hearts are content and when we feel unworthy, you are there ready to enfold us in your love. May we trust you, Lord, in each and every moment, on the mountaintop and in the everyday and the mundane. For you are always there, always ready to lead and to guide and to strengthen. May we trust you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite the ushers forward now as we give back to God from all that he has blessed us with each and every day. to join the song some long before our lives to raise our voice along heaven and earth alive we've seen your
God who is worthy of all invites us to come and to pray. As we pray together, if you'd like to come use the altar rails, the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we come to praise you, to glorify you because of who you are. Great God of all who's created all things and loves, cares, truth, justice, compassion, mercy. Thank you. Father, as we come today, we recognize how much we need you. We come today with a, from a week that has had um, some victories and some defeats, some joys and sorrows, some struggles and some successes. We come acknowledging that we, we ask for your grace in each of these moments. Lord, we pray that you will, you will mend our broken relationships. We pray that you will... You will comfort our grieving hearts. You will heal our pain and sickness and illness. You will do more than we can dream or imagine. We pray for our struggles and worries and concerns about the future and ask that you would fill us with peace. Lord, as we come today, we think about our church and We are grateful for the church and the ways in which the church nurtures our faith and we have the opportunity to help nurture others' faith. This morning we pray for Koinonia, this worship ministry. We ask, Father, that you would continue to bring your blessing upon the ministry, the leaders, and everyone who who leads in the groups and the people who participate, that this would be a powerful time every week of coming together and experiencing you in worship. We pray for churches around us. Think of the North Park Wesleyan Church in Cuba and Pastor John Ward and ask for your grace upon this congregation of believers that their hearts would be bonded together in you, that they might be a witness for you to each other and to their community and beyond. Fill them with your grace in all that they are and all that they do. Father, we pray for our nation. This has been a turbulent week in our nation. We pray for our newly elected president. We ask that you will give him wisdom as he chooses those who will be most instrumental in advising him. We pray that you will help him to realize anew his need for you. And in every decision, to listen as you speak. We pray for the divisiveness of our nation on many levels. We ask, Father, that you will help the church to be a voice of hope among those who feel fear, of a place and hope of love when people we may be tempted to hate. Help us to be a presence of peace when violence might seem like the most effective response. Help us to be a church that is compassionate for the most vulnerable and the most fearful among us. Lord, whether we understand or even agree, make us people who care and in caring to act and do what Jesus does. 
Father, we pray for our world, for refugees who are struggling to find a home and a safe place. We pray for all who are struggling from recent disasters and terrorist attacks. We pray for your church around the world. We think of missionary children who have some unique um, joys and some unique obstacles in their lives. And we ask that you would bring your spirit into each of their lives. Thank you for the report we've gotten about the Heisinger teens. And as they've shared the gospel, we pray, Father, that more and more will continue to respond. And may you continue to bless and encourage missionary children all over the world, including here in this place. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who face great opposition for the faith. For the Christians in Iraq who are rejoicing in being able to to return to their villages and towns after being liberated from ISIS control. And yet many coming back to find burned out churches and mourning losses and trying to rebuild their lives. Lord, we pray for peace. We pray for love. We pray for your grace in every situation. Father, we thank you for now two weeks of our prayer vigil. And as we look now into this last week, we pray that this will be a powerful time of praying together. Nudge our hearts to to come and spend time, significant time with you. And as we do, work in us. Open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our church. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Please stand for the reading of the gospel of Christ. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about, what, about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? 
See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You may be seated. And we'd love to have you be a part of that if you haven't yet. If you have, come back some more. There are times open this coming week. You can sign up anytime by going to the church website. You'll see a slider right across the top as you open it up. Just click on that. It'll take you right to the calendar. We have been having a few calendar issues. So if it doesn't seem like it's working right, please let us know. And we will help you get uh, some uh, time reserved. And uh, it's been great to see... um, Many of the many college students participating, a number of the uh, athletic teams have come down, different uh, groups from dorms, RAs, and floors, and it's been exciting, and it's great to see that. So we, uh, we this last week, uh, let me encourage you to uh, take some time and be a part of that. There are a couple other things to mention to you. Today's the last day for bringing your boxes for Operation Christmas Child. If you intended to bring them and you forgot, 
you can drop them by the church anytime today and probably even tomorrow morning as those will get taken to the distribution center in the next couple of days. And um, next Sunday is our uh, annual collection for the food pantry. Uh, People bring food throughout the year. We appreciate that. But next Sunday, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, in gratitude, we uh, try to collect as much as we can for the holidays because it's a big push, helping a number of families. And we've helped over 100 families this year. And uh, we will help a number of families uh, during the holiday season as well. Also want to remind you that uh, after this service, um, you're invited to go to the community room. We're having a luncheon uh, for hosting four college students. And we, if you, have, if you signed up, obviously you want to go. If you haven't yet signed up and you are here, we'd still love to have you come. I'm, I'm quite certain there'll be plenty of food. There's a lot of soups and salads and desserts and things. And uh, the meal will actually be served about noon, but we've got some games set up down in the gym and uh, just a chance to kind of get together. There's coffee down there and stuff. And so um, if you're planning to stay, again, whether you signed up or not, we'd love to have you stay. And if you don't know exactly where to go, you just go out, you can go out the side door over here and just right down the uh, uh, side of the church into the community room. And uh, we will, uh, we'd love to have you part of that. The whole purpose is just to kind of get to know each other and connect with each other, uh, with the, you, with uh, community folk as we uh, come together for this meal. There are a lot of conferences that um, you can go to. You see them advertised all the time. There's worship conferences. There are leadership conferences. For me, I have all kinds of ministerial conferences, church conferences. Whatever your particular discipline may be, there are all kinds of conferences you can attend. I came across a conference recently that I had never heard of before. It's called the Boring Conference. Seriously, it's a real thing. Uh, It's a boring conference, and it's a conference that deals with boring things. And so throughout, they've had this conference for five years, and they have discussed these topics like this. Sneezing, toast, the sound made by vending machines, uh, barcodes, yellow lines on the road, assorted arcane features of the Yamaha PSR-175 Portatune keyboard. Now, that's getting really specific. Inkjet printers, but not just any inkjet printers, the inkjet printers of 1999. Ice cream van chimes, you know, the little sounds that ice cream truck makes when it goes down the road. Electric hand dryers. I mean, they just deal with all kinds of ordinary, boring, mundane things. Here's what's fascinating to me is the thing is sold out every year. I I mean... People, uh, people pay money to come to a conference to talk about that kind of stuff, to talk about toast and sneezing and yellow lines in the road. And I've been thinking about that. What is it that attracts people to come to a, pay money and come to a conference like that? And I wonder if it's because it strikes a nerve in us about something in us that that is yearning, seeking to bring meaning to the ordinary things of life. We live our days so much thinking, what's the point of this? Why am I doing this? Does this have any meaning, any bearing? 
And every so often, maybe we get a glimpse of it that we think, oh, that's good. But quite frankly, a lot of life is just ordinary, mundane, boring stuff. And we're looking for some meaning in that. And I think as Christians, we may wrestle with that more than anyone else because we believe life has purpose and meaning. And we're trying to to connect life to Christ. We're trying to connect life to spiritual moments. And most of the time, what we're looking for is the next spiritual high. We come to a worship gathering thinking, how can I get to the next spiritual high? And we often judge the the effectiveness of a gathering or a moment with God as to how much we felt that high. How extraordinary was the moment. And there's nothing wrong with that on one hand. Except that what it does to us is it causes us to think that the the spiritual moments, the God moments, are those extraordinary moments and the unspiritual Maybe godless moments are everything else. And if we find anything in Scripture, one of the things that we see very quickly is that there are no ordinary moments with God. Because God is in every moment. Psalm 139 says, in the NIV, it asks the question, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? It's a rhetorical question. And many of the other translations make that clear because they don't phrase it as a question. They simply say, I can go nowhere where you are not. I cannot get away from your presence. And it's not just about place. It's about time. If God is present in every place, then God is present in every moment. And that changes the moments. We love to to sort of separate life into spiritual and secular. And and we compartmentalize our lives. Richard Foster calls it an inner apartheid. Where we have this segregated life. And we say, this is my life where I think about God. And this is the rest of my life. It's the human condition to do that. But the scriptures keep telling us that you may say this is the time to think about God, but you need to understand God is just as much in that moment as he is in this moment. Because God's in every moment. In the church, the church calendar is divided up into six seasons. Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, and Pentecost. And all these seasons are are ways of helping us remember the things that Christ has done and to connect our lives with, with who Christ is. And they're powerful things. But when you get the Pentecost, is the longest season. It's virtually half of the year. And uh, you can see in the bulletin, I didn't actually look at it today, but it says, this is the 26th Sunday after Pentecost. Next Sunday is the last Sunday after Pentecost, or Christ the King Sunday, because Advent starts two weeks from today. And, and, We have this long season of after Pentecost, after Pentecost. Decades ago, they called it kingdom tide. It's all about the kingdom. More recently, they talk about this as ordinary time. That we are, we're not in Lent, we're not in Easter, we're not in Advent, we're in ordinary time. And, And I don't really like that on one hand because it makes it seem as if it's unimportant. It's just ordinary time. You know, it's not as exciting as Advent. It's, it's not as passionate as Lent. 
It's just ordinary time. But I think the reason they use that language is to remind us that while God is certainly present in Advent and Lent and Christmas and Epiphany and Easter, he is just as present in ordinary time. When the church is marking Sundays, God is just as present. Sometimes people will come to me for some advice or they'll ask me about things going on in their lives. And, and often people will say, you know, it's, I'm kind of hesitant to bring this up because in comparison to the things that are happening in the world, it seems pretty small. I'm not, I'm not even sure if I should, I should be praying about it. And I often tell people, look, if it's important to you, it's important to God. I want to revise that statement. I've been giving out bad advice to people. What I should be saying and what I will be saying is this. Whether it's important to you or not, it's important to God. Because that's life. And every moment of life is important to God. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Reading, studying, doing dishes, changing diapers, fixing a meal, mowing the grass, working on your garage door. It doesn't matter what you're doing. God is present in that moment. God is active in that moment. God cares about that moment. And that's why we talk about praying the ordinary. Because God is calling us to, to see him in every single moment of life. And to continually think about God, opening our hearts to see him in the moments. When we pray the ordinary, we're not asking God to be present in the ordinary. We're really asking God to help us see him in the ordinary. Because he's already there. He's already present. He's already at work. And that's what I think Jesus is trying to tell us in Matthew 6. He's saying you're you're worrying about ordinary things, food, drink, clothing, stuff that you need, things that are important, but they're ordinary things. They're not things that we get super excited about. Now, maybe if we lived in a less affluent culture, maybe we would get more excited about them. But in our culture, they, they feel to us just kind of like ordinary stuff. And Jesus says... God is present in those things. God's there. In fact, he says in verse 32, your heavenly father already knows that you need these things, which in my mind triggers the thought, then why do we even pray about it if God already knows, right? It's because prayer isn't about trying to convince God to do something we want as if he is not willing to give us good things. And prayer is not magic that we somehow say the exact right words and then we'll get from God what we want. Prayer is about relationship with God. It's about hearing God. It's about learning to know who God is. It's about understanding God in our lives. It's about building relationship with God. And that's why throughout this passage, Jesus has been talking about when he refers to God, he doesn't say God, he uses the word Father. Because he wants us to understand that our Heavenly Father cares about everything in his children's lives. Everything. Everything. Many of you are not parents. But you have close friends that you can identify this with. We aren't just just caring parents when our children go through something difficult. And we aren't just caring friends when our friends go through some crisis. 
if we're really friends, then we just spend time together and we enjoy life together. And one of the great struggles of being a parent is as your children get older, and we all know this from the other side of it at the very least, of our parents want to know, how was your day? What did you do? And all we, you know, we say, fine, everything was great. And then you walk away, right? We've all had those conversations with our parents. And some of you who are parents have had those conversations with your children. The reason we ask those questions is because we're interested. We just want to know. How are you feeling? How was life? That's the kind of relationship. That's how relationships get built. Relationships get built on the day by day by day by day interaction and, and care and compassion. They're rarely built on crises. And God is saying to us, look, I want relationship with you. If you think your parents want a relationship with you, they don't, that's not even close to the kind of relationship I want with you. And I want you to know I'm with you every moment. I want you to sense me in every moment. I'm your father. I love you. Everything that's happening to you is important to me. Everything. I wonder if that's what Jesus means when he, he gets to the end of this section and he says, don't worry about this stuff, but instead seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I wonder if seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is simply living your life in such a way that you are looking for God in every single moment. You're thinking about God in every single moment. You're embracing God. You're welcoming God in every single moment. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I think this is related. Because when God's kingdom comes, when God ushers in the kingdom, there will be no moments when when God is absent from our thoughts. There will be no moment when we're looking for God in every moment. Every moment will be a God moment. Every single moment is a God moment. And when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we are in essence praying, God, we want every moment to be a God moment. We want to see it and experience it and embrace it because of who you are. Because you want that kind of relationship with us. And maybe that's one of the meanings of seeking first the kingdom of God. It's wanting that. Because when we want that, it changes everything. About how we live, about how we view the ordinary moments of life. It changes how we view our work, our play, our relationships. It changes everything. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to do different things. But it does mean we see God in the middle of everything that we do. The thought that's been coming to my mind is, how do we do that? How do we think of God in every moment? Frank Laubach, a missionary to the Philippines back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, developed a, a plan that he called the game with minutes. Where he, he would set aside one minute every hour just to think about God. And gradually that time increased. He said it took a whole new 
change of his mindset. In the morning, before he got out of bed, he had to get his mind right to think about God. But he, his, his perspective was that you can think about God in every moment. You just have to work at it. And he said thinking about God in every moment was strenuous. But he said what he found is that when, even though that was strenuous, when he did that, everything else became less strenuous. Change his perspective. Brother Lawrence talked about practicing the presence of God. He wanted to be a monk, but he didn't have any education. So they welcomed him into the monastery, but they wouldn't let him do religious things. He had to work in the kitchen. And he was upset about that, and he was discouraged about that until he began to realize and heard God saying to him, Look, you know I'm with you here in the kitchen, right? You know I'm present with you right here. And as he began to understand that, he he would, wanted to do everything for the glory of God. And so he talked about peeling potatoes for the glory of God and peeling carrots for the glory of God and stirring soup for the glory of God and picking vegetables for the glory of God and for making pies for the glory of God. Everything he did. And later, his job changed to mending shoes. And, and every shoe he mended, he did for the glory of God. What if every moment of our day, every project we started, every new thing we did, before we did it, we said, God, I want to do this for your glory. I think that would help us think about God in every moment. I read this book, it's for your glory. I write this paper, it's for your glory. I'm studying for this test, it's for your glory. I'm staying awake in class for your glory. Staying awake in church for your glory. I'm making this meal for your glory. I'm preparing this for your glory. It's what Paul tells us in Corinthians and Colossians. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Every moment. Paul writes into the Thessalonians and says, pray without ceasing. And some people have interpreted that to mean you just you, you forget doing everything else and all you do is pray. And so there have been monks in the centuries who climbed up a 50-foot pole with a little platform on it and sat there for 20 years. I don't know if that's exactly what Paul was talking about. I think Paul was saying, let your spirit be continually in a thinking about God. Let your, let your heart and your mind be continually thinking about who God is. But as soon as Paul says, pray without ceasing, the next thing he says is, in everything, give thanks. And I think that's a key part of thinking about the, praying the ordinary, is giving thanks. If we could shape our minds to give thanks to God every moment, it would change our lives. It would change our lives. It doesn't mean that we are grateful for everything that happens. Because there are lots of things that happen in this broken world that we should not give thanks for. We ought to fight against. And we ought to stand up against it. And we ought to do what we can to reverse it. But in the midst of it happening, we give thanks to God that he is present even in those moments. He is present even in those circumstances. He is present in everything that happens. In everything, God is there. And the reason we give thanks is not because of what has happened, but because of who God is. Because we know that there are no ordinary moments. There are no moments when God is not present and at work. And we give thanks. And what I find fascinating about this passage is that he says, not just give thanks, but this is God's will for all of you who are followers of Jesus. 
Sometimes people ask me, I'm trying to figure out what God's will is for my life. Well, there are a lot of things that they could say to them, but one of them is give thanks to God. If we're struggling with to know what the will of God is, one thing we can be certain of, the will of God for us is to give thanks in everything. Because that thanksgiving reminds us every moment God is there. God's at work. This is who God is. He's faithful. He's good. He's righteous. He's just. This is our God. He's good. We are so good at dividing our lives. And I think sometimes we don't want to see God in the ordinary because, quite frankly, we kind of want to do our own thing. And we see God present as more of a negative than a positive. But that's only because we don't really know who God is. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us in Matthew 6. He's saying, look, you have all of these needs. And you think that God is the kind of God who doesn't care all that much about your needs. You could not be more wrong. God cares about everything. Everything about your life. And every moment of your life. And his presence in those moments, yes, it may mean that it changes your perspective. And maybe it means that you're going to feel uh, maybe inclined to do some, not do something you were going to do. But it's all for our good. It's all in our best interests. It's all out of God's eternal, perfect heart of love. And God is present to give us life. That's why we pray the ordinary. That's why we pray for God to help us see him in the ordinary moments. So my question in the last couple of weeks as I've been pondering this is, how do we remember to do this? Because I think a lot of this is memory. We want to. We want to think about God every moment. But how do we do that? We can follow a plan like Lawbox or Brother Lawrence. We can, we can do that. But how do, we, how do we remember to do that? And what I kept coming back to is, is Matthew 6.11. What I thought about doing was maybe we should buy us all tickets to the boring conference. And maybe that would connect us. But it's sold out, so we can't do that. But the next thought that came to my mind was looking at Matthew 6.11 that says, very simply, give us this day our daily bread. It's, it's intriguing to me that when Jesus moves from giving glory to God, the first petition... After your, your kingdom come on earth, this glorious, powerful thing he says about God, the first petition is not lead us into temptation, which I think it might be, or help me to forgive other people, which I think is pretty spiritually important. It is something as ordinary as bread, food, something most of us take for granted. Give us this day our daily bread. Help us to think about you in the ordinary things of life. Help us to trust you in the ordinary things of life. Help us to see you in the ordinary things of life. And that got me thinking about silverware. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask, we've got some boxes of plastic spoons. And we're going to give everybody a plastic spoon. And in the little ladle part of the spoon is written Matthew 6, 11. Because I don't want it just to just be a plastic spoon and you look at it and go, what was that plastic spoon about? I wanted you to look at it. I want you to remember 
Give us this day our daily bread. Help us to see you in every ordinary, every moment of life. Because God, you're good. And you're gracious and you're merciful. I want to know you, not just in the spectacular moments, but in every moment. And my prayer is that that spoon might help us remember.
face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.